Well, today we're going to talk about having joyful, fruitful Christianity as opposed to bummed out, sad, unproductive Christianity. And I think we all would rather have joyful, fruitful Christianity. And so we're going to talk about that. And we, we've come off a series on forgiveness where we discovered that we are totally, completely forgiven and that God has made us perfect forever. And we're right before him. Because of Jesus, if you've given your life to Jesus, the, it's, it's astounding what God says we are and who we are in him. We're new creations in Christ. And so we see that. And when we understand that we're forgiven, we're completely, absolutely forgiven. We've been made perfect forever. All these are just Bible verses. We've been made perfect forever. Then we begin to understand who we are in Christ. And when we understand who we are in Christ, contrary to popular belief, because sometimes people say, if you, if you tell everybody they're forgiven, they may just go out and sin like wild. Well, I found out people have no problem sinning regardless of what you tell them. So we want to get them some truth in them because when I see myself as righteous, I'm much more prone to live and behave and act righteously. So the truth message of forgiveness doesn't produce sin. It produces more holiness in our life. And so we have this salvation and the scripture actually says we have so great a salvation. So great a salvation. So salvation is like a launch pad. It's like a booster rocket that just shoots us off and gets us going to new heights in God. So we can be everything God wants us to be. We can enjoy everything God wants us to enjoy. But let's not stop there. We can be a blessing to other people. God doesn't just say, oh, I want you in because, you know, I just want to bless you, bless you, bless you. God does want to bless us, but he wants us to be a blessing to others as well. And so that's, that's our goal. We want to learn, how can I be more fruitful? How can I be more productive? How can I be more joy-filled in my relationship with Jesus Christ and pass that along to others as well? So I'm going to look at a bridge verse today that moves us from our forgiveness message into what we're going to talk about today. And it's found in 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, before I start reading these verses that are on your screen, I want you to know that there's seven verses we're not reading today. And so that could be an assignment for you. You say, what, what could my assignment be this week? Well, we'll read, read 2 Peter chapter 1. Those first seven verses, just give you an overview, is that Peter comes on the scene and says, hey guys, I want you to know this. Your salvation, your faith, your walk with Jesus is as precious as mine. Think about that. Peter, who was one of Jesus' right-hand men, one of the founding apostles of Christianity, who walked with Jesus and ate with Jesus and fellowshiped with Jesus and saw him in his resurrected form and was kind of the inner circle with Jesus and the things he would do. Think about that. He said this, your faith, are, are you getting this? Your faith is as precious as mine, Peter said. So I want you to know, it's not like Peter and the apostles got like this gold medal faith. And then, of course, some of the other maybe members in the Bible we read about, they got a silver medal faith. And there's a few others that kind of got the bronze. But all the rest of us, we just got the participation trophy. You know, hey, thanks for showing up. You know, you're on the Christian team. Here's your participation trophy. No, we all have the same precious faith. We all have this gold medal faith in Jesus. So Peter goes on to say, that the divine power of God has given us everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. He's already given us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. He said, since this is true, he, make every effort to add to your faith these virtues. And he actually lists seven virtues. And then he tells that these virtues, they, they will actually help us participate in the divine nature. 
Now I want that to soak in for a second. It's not my message today, but it'd be a good thing for you to think about this week. We are actually called by God to participate in the divine nature. We're not called by God to live in the sinful nature and then come in contact with divinity every now and then, maybe at a church service or when we've had a good prayer meeting. No, we are called by God to participate in the divine nature of God. And so he gives us these seven virtues, these seven qualities, and then we're going to pick up on the story here. In 2 Peter 1, 8, it says, For if you possess these qualities, that's the seven virtues that he listed earlier, in increasing measure. I don't want you to miss that because this is how good God is. God doesn't say, hey, until you get your act together 100%, until you have everything perfect, until you have everything right, I don't want to hear from you. You know, come back when you got your act together. What God says is that we, we have these in increasing measure. And Tyler, could you bring down my volume just a little bit? In increasing measure. So we're supposed to be increasing. So what we're doing is we're growing. That's how we would say it. We're growing in God. And so you may have come from such a horrible background that you've come to know Jesus, and, and on a scale from 1 to 10, you're a negative 10. And over the last year, you've made it from a negative 10 to a negative 3. Guess what? You're growing. You may be outgrowing everyone around you, and they don't notice it, but you're growing. So God's always telling us it's all about growing. It's all about growing up in him. And so we have these qualities in increasing measure. And they, these qualities, will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them, these seven virtues and qualities... They're nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed. Here's my bridge verse. Forgetting they've been cleansed from their past sins. Now, the beautiful thing, again, is that he doesn't say, if you don't have these qualities, you're going to hell. You're not even a real believer. God don't want to have anything to do with you. It doesn't say that. It says, if you don't have these qualities, it doesn't say you're lost and going to hell. It says you're nearsighted and blind and have forgotten that you've been cleansed from your past sins. Because this is the powerful part of the message of forgiveness, is when I understand I've been fully cleansed by God's sins, there's a whole new reality that opens up for me. But if I don't know that, my life shrinks. My my life reduces itself because I become nearsighted and blind. I can't see well. You know, I'm kind of like Mr. Magoo. Anybody remember Mr. Magoo? Can't see well. He always saw things inappropriately. He always saw things wrong. And that's what happens to us. All of a sudden, our world closes in on us, And since we don't have these virtues, all we see is our problems, all we see is our insecurities, all we see is our lack of resources, all we see is is pain, all we see is suffering, that's all we see. And so our life, even though we're Christians, our life isn't fruitful and joyful, it's sad because all we see, we forget that we've been cleansed from past sins. But if I can grab a hold of the truth that I've been cleansed from past sins, guess what could happen? My eyes can be opened. All of a sudden I say, wow, I am a gold medal Christian. I'm not a second-class Christian. I'm I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm a new creation in the Lord. The old is gone. The new has come. You start looking. I've been forgiven. God doesn't hold my sins against me. God actually forgot them. God actually remembers them no more. I am in Christ. Now, all of a sudden, my eyes open, and I'm no longer nearsighted and blind. I can see out beyond myself. I can see possibilities. I I can see a future. I can see joy. I can see hope. I can see a whole hurting, broken world that needs some help, too. It's not just me, myself, and mine anymore. There's a whole world out there that Jesus loved and died for, and I can be productive and effective in my walk with God. So we don't want to be nearsighted and blind. We want to be productive. 
And then it says that we should live in such a way that our calling and election is sure, or how does it say it here? It says, it says um, that every effort to confirm your calling and election. Now, that doesn't mean make every effort to earn your salvation or keep yourself saved for another day, but it does say you've got this great salvation in you. If you develop these virtues that are Christ-like, people will actually look at you and say, there's a Christian. I confirm that they are called, they are elect, they are saved by God. I can see that in their lives. We ought to live in such a way. Because we all know this, there are people who are genuinely saved and going to heaven, and when people find out they're a Christian, they're absolutely shocked. They're like, I, I would have never guessed that in a million years. That's not a good testimony when people look at you and say, you're a Christian? I would have never, I would have never thought that. Now, you can be truly born again, but you're, you're, it's not getting confirmed by the way you're living. And so God goes on to say in these verses, for if you do these things, you will, what's the next word? You will what? Never stumble. It'd be a good verse if it says you'll rarely stumble, but it says you'll never stumble. So I want us to bridge this, that this whole concept of understanding how forgiven we are, how redeemed we are, how right we are with God, causes us to live in a way that opens up the horizons and opens up the possibilities in our life. So I assume you would rather enjoy the abundant, joyful, fruitful life with Jesus than a sad sack, horrible, barely get by, upset, yucky walk with Jesus. Is that a good assumption, that you'd rather have joy and fruitfulness and all that? Yeah, me too. So there's just so much to that when we actually have the joy of the Lord in our lives. And so I was looking through the scriptures, and I saw something, and I thought, huh, this set of verses, which I've seen many times before, I've preached on many times before, but never from this angle. This is the beautiful thing about the living word of God. The things I preached on before weren't wrong, and I finally learned the right way. It's just the living word of God has so many applications to it. You go back to it, and you go, wow. I, I, uh, Jack Hayford, I was privileged to sit under some of his tutelage in, in these small group sessions for several years back in the late 90s and early 2000s. And he said something one time. I said, that's an interesting idea. Now, you don't have to do it. This isn't a rule. This isn't a law. This is just something he did. Every year, he bought a brand-new Bible. The reason he brought a brand-new Bible was he said, the word is alive, and it brings me new revelation. But I discovered one day that I, when I'd be reading through my old Bible, I would see something highlighted, and I'd see some notes here on the side, and I would read those. And that was a revelation I got one time when I was looking at the word. But after I looked at the underlying and looked at my notes, I realized I already have all the revelation there is there, and he would go on. And one day it dawned on him, he doesn't have all the revelation out of that verse. So every year he would start off with a brand new Bible, not because he didn't care and love the past revelation, but it caused him to see new truth in there that was not bound by his little side notes in his Bible. Now, you don't have to do that. That's not a rule. Don't say, oh, my goodness, Tracy said don't use an old Bible. Do whatever you think the Lord wants you to do. I just thought that was wise. I thought that's interesting how God's word brings new revelation over and over and over again. So I'm looking at this verse, and I'm, these verses, and I'm saying, wow, this is what separates the ineffective, unproductive, sad, sorrowful Christians from those who are joy-filled, those who are fruitful, those who are productive, those who are actually enjoying their walk with the Lord. There's a gap sometimes between that. And I saw it in these verses, so I want to pass along this truth to you. It's found in the Old Testament. And it's, it's interesting because the, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians, it's 1 Corinthians 10, 11, that the Old Testament events that happen, they're examples for us. Their examples and their warnings. So we learn what to do and what not to do, how to behave and how not to behave, how to think about things, how to not think about things. And so we have the permission 
from the New Testament to look at these events in the scriptures and learn from them. Well, this event happens in 1 Chronicles 21. King David has taken a census of Israel. He's counted the people and the population, which was forbidden by God. You may say, why in the world was that forbidden by God? Because the goal is, if you read all the 1 Chronicles uh, 21, was David wanted to know how many fighting men do we have? How many soldiers do we have? Because you know what happens when you know how many soldiers you have? You can determine in a human way whether you can win a battle or not. Now you can decide, oh, we have one million soldiers, they have four million, we can't win. We have one million, and they have 100,000, we can win. Now David knew better than that. He was strictly forbidden to do that. Even Joab, who's not seen as a super spiritual guy, but as David's right-hand man in battle as a warrior, comes to him and says, David, king, why are you doing this wickedness in the sight of God? May God multiply his soldiers a hundred times. He got it. You just think, David, you know this. You've got mighty men of valor around you. You're outnumbered three to one. Who cares as long as you've got God? There were men around him who killed a thousand people in battle single-handedly. So if that would have multiplied throughout his, his army, he could have beat an army with the odds of thousand to one. And so the battle is the Lord's. It's not ours. But now I know none of us have ever done this, but David gets stubborn. He says, I want a, I want a census. And so he has Joab go out and get a census of all the people so he know how many fighting people he has. But it really is the battle of the Lord's. We know this from, and they entered the promised land. They fought Jericho, a super powerful army, with a super powerful reinforcements, and they won like that because God was on their side. The, the people said, we have heard of the exploits of your God, and our hearts have melted with fear. We don't even have the strength to fight. And then they go out to this little town where they say, we don't even have to send out very many soldiers for this. This is a for sure win. And they get beat. They get beat because we need God. God fights the battle for us. So be careful, because you and I are prone to say, I don't know if I can have victory in this area because you look at your bank account, you look at your education, you look at your connections, you look at your age, you look at your energy, you look at all that, you say, there's no way I could win this. If God's sending you out the battle, you can win it. You can win the battle. Caleb, Caleb went to Joshua and said, Joshua, 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 don't you forget what Moses promised to me. Moses promised me that high country. Well, that's, that's no big deal until you realize Caleb's 80 years old. He says, I'm 80 years old, but I got the strength of when I was 40. My eye is not dim. My arm hasn't gotten weak. I can go take the high country, which was filled with giants. He was able because the Lord was with him. And he went on victorious in battle at 80 years old because the Lord was with him. So David's sin. Sin always brings death. And by the way, a lot of times, seriously, a lot of times, it's not that God says, I'm going to get you for that. But there's principles. We talked about that last week. There are natural principles. There are spiritual principles. You violate natural principles, and there's calamities to that. If you don't think there's gravity, as I mentioned last week, you walk off a two-story building, you will fall, and it won't be God saying, I'm going to get them because they don't, believe, they don't believe in the theory of gravity. I'm going to get them. No, it's just a natural principle. And so here, God has very plainly said, don't do this. David stubbornly does it anyway. And so... Gad, Gad, G-A-D, Gad, who is David's prophet, comes to David and says, I got a word from the Lord for you. You have sinned and there's punishment coming. It's kind of like if your dad or mom is going to spank you when you're younger. I got a, got, a, got a punishment coming. You can 
go cut your own switch. And so he tells David, he said, you got three options. One is three years of famine. That's one punishment that could come. Oh, I said, that doesn't sound good. Second thing is three months that you'll be at the hand of your enemies. In other words, the most under-resourced, smallest army, absolutely incapable of doing anything, will defeat you hands down every time. Oh, that didn't sound good. Third option is three days of the sword of the Lord's judgment. Now, I want you to see something about David. I should have actually put this verse up, but I didn't. I want you to see something about David, who has an understanding about God that we forget. Because I'm reading that and thinking, well, don't go with God, because God could do more damage in 10 seconds than, you know, the Philistines and anybody else. But David has a different understanding about God. He said, wow, I'm in distress. Here's what I'm going to do. He said, first of all, he said, don't deliver me into the hands of, of human beings because that's awful. He said, it's actually found in 1 Chronicles 21, 13. David said to Gad, I am deep distressed. Let me fall into the hands of the Lord. See, my mind immediately went, he could do more damage in 10 seconds. But David understands him better than I understand him. He said, let me fall into the hands of the Lord because his mercy is very great. His mercy is very great. Oh, all the naysayers about God, David knew God. You want to know something about somebody? Find out somebody who knows him. David knew God. He said, put me at the hands of God for his mercy is very great. But do not let me fall into human hands. And so we pick up on the story in 1 Chronicles 21, 18 through 27. It says, in the angel of the Lord. By the way, right before this verse, David has cried out to God. Oh, God, I'm the shepherd. I have sinned. May this judgment come upon me and my family, not upon the sheep, not upon the people of Israel. After he says that prayer, then the angel of the Lord ordered Gad to tell David to go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna. Some of your Bibles say Ornan. I don't know why some say Aruna and some say Ornan. I don't know why in the New Testament, sometimes, especially in the King James, Matthew's called Levi. Levi and Matthew are the same person. In case you ever read that and think, is there a 13th disciple here? Levi and Matthew are the same person. I do know that Ornan is a derivative of Aruna, but nonetheless, don't get confused. If yours says Ornan, that's the same guy we're talking about. So he says, build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. So David went up in obedience to the word that Gad had spoken in the name of the Lord. And while Aruna was threshing, he turned and saw the angel. It must have been a pretty frightening sight. His four sons who were with him saw the angel and hid themselves. Then David approached, and when Aruna looked and saw him, he left the threshing floor, bowed down before David, his face to the ground, and David said, let me have your sight, the sight of your threshing floor, so I can build an altar to the Lord, that the plague of my people may be stopped. And here's something you'll never hear in negotiation. Sell it to me at full price. Sell it to me. Have you ever gone in and said something like that? I think I'd like that new car. I'll take it at full price. Just give it to me for maximum retail. No, we always want to negotiate. David said, sell it to me at full price. Aruna said to David, take it. Let the Lord my king do whatever he pleases. Look, I will give the oxen for the burnt offerings, the threshing sledges for the wood, the wheat for the grain offering. I will give all of this. But King David replied to Aruna, no, I insist on paying the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. So David paid Aruna 600 shekels of gold. Now, I don't know if you're a curious person. I am. You may not be. Might not have even bothered you. First thing I'm thinking is, 
how much is 600 shekels of gold? So I start doing the research, not from today's shekel, but an Old Testament shekel, what the weight of it is. I transfer it into to today's gold prices. If I did it correctly, the price of the land, the threshing floor, the cattle, the grain, and everything that was around there came to $397,000. I don't know about you, but that's real money to me. $397,000. So David pays just shy of $400,000 for this land. And then we read on. It says, David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. He called on the Lord, and the Lord answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of burnt offering. So I imagine it was very much like uh, Elijah when he prayed. Fire came down from heaven. Then the Lord spoke to the angel. He spoke to the angel. Let me tell you something. I learned this from David. God's mercy is very great. It really doesn't show the timeline, but it doesn't seem like the timeline's been very long that this angel and the plague has been hitting the people. And remember, it was supposed to be three days. But guess what? The mercy of God is very great. You're here thinking, oh, man, God's going to get me. Let me tell you, the mercy of God is very great. He spoke to the angel, and he put, back, he put the sword back in its sheath. Now, after studying the New Testament and teaching of the first apostle of Christianity, and you know this because you've studied it too and you've heard the messages, when we start studying, we start realizing this, that you can be a Christian, listen to me, you can be a Christian and be fleshly. You can be a Christian and be carnal. You can be a Christian, as we read earlier, and be ineffective and unproductive. You can be a Christian and have sin in your life. You can be a Christian and need to deal with stuff. You can be a Christian and not walk in the Spirit. Where did I get all this idea from? From the teaching of James, Peter, Paul, and John. They write to Christians, and they say, live in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Now, let's just think for a minute. If the only option I have as a Christian is to live in the Spirit, there's no need for that verse, right? You don't have to tell people, don't live in the flesh, live in the Spirit, if that's all you can do as a believer. They're constantly telling people, get rid of all this sinful behavior and start all this good behavior. I think one of the verses we looked at last week said, get rid of all anger, rage, bitterness, slander, evil speaking, malice, and start living with compassion, love, forgiveness. See what's happening here? Get rid of Christians. Get rid of that and add this to your life. And so it's possible to do these things. But you know what I know is that's not fruitful, joyful Christians. A few fruitful, joyful Christianity doesn't have all that junk in their life because it bogs you down. It ties you up. The scriptures talk about that. Get rid of every sin and weight that does so easily entangle you, that pulls you down. And so we realize that sin leaves us unproductive. Sin shrinks our life. And Jesus came, this is what Jesus said, he came that you might have life and have it to the fullest measure. And so, let's not be unproductive. Now, all of us have a problem with something, and we're constantly growing. The thing I want to challenge me and you is always be growing. If the Lord's dealing with something in your life, obey God. Now, some people may be shorter on their journey, and you can get stubborn, and you can say, I'm not going to let this go. Well, then just be prepared for it creating certain problems in your life. And then some people are further on their journey and they say, I have had this fight with God more than enough times to learn God's way always works. God's way always produces peace and joy. Sin doesn't. It always produces death. So hopefully as we age in the Lord, we get a little quicker at obeying 
and yielding to God because of the history that we have with the Lord. So, we need to do what God says because it produces forward momentum in our life. So I'm reading this story and thinking about this. I see something and I discover, what's our problem? What is going to separate the unproductive, unfruitful, unjoyful believer from the fruitful, effective, productive, joyful believer? Well, here it is. We aren't willing to pay the full price. That's the separation. Are you willing to pay the full price? We're not willing sometimes to be all in. See, I want to challenge me and all of us. Let's be all in. Let's pay the full price. And then we want to nitpick over the cost. You know, we nitpick over the cost. Now, it's interesting because, you know, if I'm in a place where you can bargain, I'll bargain. I'll guarantee you that. I mean, I will. If you've ever been to a foreign country on a mission trip, I mean, they'll come up and bring you a little thing they've carved, and they'll go, $1,000. Okay, now I'm not paying no $1,000 for that, okay? So you'll negotiate. But we don't need to negotiate in our walk with God. I'm also somewhat shocked when, if you've ever had a yard sale, and you say, here's a brand new suit that's never been worn, and we want 50 cents for it. And they go, would you take a dime? I mean, would you take it? I'm really, we're going we're gonna to negotiate over a suit for, that's never been worn, but, but there's something in us. We like to negotiate. We like to negotiate. It's fun. By the way, have you ever done this before? Have you ever gone to buy something? And they say, I want $200 for it. And you say, you know what? I'll give you $150. And they say, okay. And you go, oh, that was too easy. I think I could have got it for 100 And you're like, oh, drats. You know, that was, that was too easy. Because we like to negotiate. We like to win in these negotiations. We don't need to negotiate with God. Don't negotiate. Just be all in. Pay the full price. Now, let me be clear here. I don't want to discourage me or you. I don't want to condemn me or you. Wherever we're at in our walk with God, let's keep growing. If you're a month old in the Lord, it's very hard to compare yourself to somebody who's been going after God passionately for 30 years. So just keep growing where you're at. And the person who's 30 years old in the Lord, they need to keep growing where they're at. But if you're sitting beside somebody and you think, you know what, I'm a new believer. and I feel like the Lord's been dealing me with something, so... And you see the seasoned believer beside you, and you talk to him after service. You say, you know what? I said, I feel like the Lord's, you know, telling me I need to quit cussing. And say, what do you feel like the Lord's telling you? And they say, I, I really feel like the Lord's been calling me into deeper intercession, fasting, and prayer. Now, you're a month on the Lord. You say, first of all, I don't even know what intercession is. I don't even know what that word means. Not sure I understand what fasting is, but I have heard the word prayer before. There's no need to try to compare yourself. It doesn't matter. That's why we have this beautiful verse in the Bible. They who compare themselves among themselves are not wise. You just grow where you're at. Otherwise, the devil will say, you'll never be that person. Oh, you don't even know what intercession means. And, and they're called into it. How are you ever going to be anything for God? But if you ask me, you say, why, why are you called into three things, most of which I don't even know what it is. God's calling you deeper, and I'm called to quit cussing. They'll probably say, because God dealt with me with my cussing 30 years ago. Oh, okay, I see what's going on. We're growing. We're growing in the Lord. Mm. And aren't you glad that David and Aruna didn't get into a negotiation fight? The good news is Aruna says, you can have it. And David said, no, I demand to pay full price. But, you know, I got a weird mind sometimes. I'm thinking that I'm imagining, I'm imagining David saying, I'll pay full price. And Aruna says, okay, $397,000. What? Are you kidding me? Where'd you get that figure from? Out of the air? 
When's the last time you had this place of praise? Then Gad's saying, uh, uh, King, my Lord, I can see the angel. I can see the plague. It's getting closer. Can we negotiate this thing out? Now, well, now, hold on, Gad. I mean, I don't want to be taken advantage of. I'll, I'll give you 200,000. Aruna says, fine, take Well, you took that a little too fast there. I kind of like to be in the Noah stuff. Aruna, do you know something I don't know? Is Jerusalem bringing the dump out here? And property values are going to go down. That's why you want. And then you see Gad going, Lord, my king, the plague and the angel and the sword are 100 yards away. Could we please negotiate this out fast as we can before we get consumed by the plague? The good news is they didn't negotiate. But we do, don't we? You know, sometimes people may come and say, oh, Tracy, I heard the gospel message. I know I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Let me ask you this question. Can I come to Jesus and still love these little idols in my life? I will tell you that the scripture doesn't support that. Uh, well, I don't know if I want to do it or not. Hold, hold it. Tracy, can I come to the Lord? Because i got some favorite sins of mine, and I want to keep them. Can I keep those and, you know, come to a relationship with Jesus? And I'll say, the, the Bible doesn't support that. So we may say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not getting in then. Well, here's, here's an issue. There's this beautiful parable that's one verse long. Two sentences, one verse long. Don't have a slide for it, but it's Matthew 13, 44. Jesus is telling this parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. A guy walks by, sees this hidden treasure, makes sure it stays hidden. Now listen to what it says. And with joy, with joy, did y'all hear that? With joy, he went and sold everything he had to buy that field. Hmm. He sold his donkey, he sold his cart, he sold his horse, he sold his work tools, he sold the pots and pans, he sold the house, he sold the garage, he sold everything. And he comes to the signing table with only the clothes on his back because there's a treasure in the field that's worth more than everything he got rid of. And no one will feel sorry for him because the treasure is so big. You know what I know when we start negotiating with God? I know something that you may not know I know, and that's this. You don't really see Jesus as a treasure. You don't really see him as a treasure. I'm talking to me too, because we're going to negotiate. Hold on, do we understand how big the treasure of Jesus is? There's no need to negotiate. It's big. It's big. So don't, don't worry about negotiating. See, Jesus isn't an accessory for your life. He is your life. I was talking to a room full of football players this week. Uh, very attentive, fine young men. I, th I think they call me because of my athletic prowess, and they want me to speak to these, you know, they want me to speak to these young people. So I'm talking to them about this, about being all in. And I said, man, I don't know, because my daughter's grown up already. She's adult. She's out of the home. But it used to be when you went to these malls, there was a store called Claire's. And I said, is Claire's still around? And about three or four of the guys said, yeah, I just shopped there. And I looked over, and they had an earring. And I, oh, okay, I forgot about it. I wasn't thinking straight, uh, because that was like the cool accessory. We're going to stop by Claire's and get some earrings. And Claire's has all these little accessories. But Jesus isn't just an accessory. The guy didn't find a $20 bill in the field. He found a treasure in the field. We don't need to, to treat Jesus like he's a, a discount coupon. I like discount coupons, but I like big treasures better. He's a treasure. Now, again, I want to say this because I want to make this plain. You say, well, so all this stuff I'm struggling with, I guess I can't become a believer. Now, let me tell you what we do. We do come to Jesus right like we are. 
We come to him with the idols in our lives. We come to him with the bad philosophies we have. We come to him with the bad sin habits and addictions we have. We come to him with all the junk we have. Because it's not the gospel to say, you get your act together, and then Jesus may have something to do with you. He died for us while we were yet sinners. So if you say, I got 25 things in my life I love and don't want to let go of, but I want to know Jesus, come to know Jesus. But I'm going to make you a promise. He's going to start chipping away on those 25 things. And there's going to be some pain to that. But that's okay, because you found a treasure. <laughs> you found something bigger than anything you give up. Because I found out no one minds giving up stuff if the return on investment's good. You ever had these kids, they're selling like little candy bars for a fundraiser for band or for whatever. I mean, if one of them comes to me and says, hey, I'd like to sell you this candy bar for $1,000. You know, all of a sudden, I can't find $1,000 anywhere. I just don't know how to, I'm sorry, you know. But if you drove in here today, and you're like super wealthy, and you said, hey, Tracy, I just want you to know, I just brought a brand new Corvette. Hate the thing. I bought it lock, stock, and barrel. It's all mine. I'll sell it to you for $1,000. I can find $1,000 like that. What happened? Couldn't find $1,000 early. You find $1,000 return on investment. Uh, that brand new Corvette is worth a whole lot more than my $1,000. That candy bar is not. So we don't mind giving things up as long as what we're getting is more. I want you to know Jesus is more. Jesus is more. There's no need to negotiate. Just be all in. <laughs> Just say, uh, I'm all in. Uh, you can, I want to pay full price because it'll be worth it. Now, we go from sad Christianity to joy-filled Christianity uh, because sometimes we have to give some things up. So, some people could grow uh, tremendously if they would just say, I'm going to give up some of my friends. Now, not all of them, but some of them. Now, some people say, well, I would, I would never give up some of my friends. Well, the Bible describes people that there are certain people that they sin. This is what Scripture says and they create and invent new ways of sinning. And they're always trying to draw you in to sin with them. You need to get rid of those people out of your life. Well, I, I, would, I would never do that. I'd be faithful to my friends. Well, you can do that if you want to, but be prepared to live far beneath where God wants you to live. Because you always have a struggle that you, don't, you shouldn't have to have. Some people could totally change their lives if they'd just be faithful to the house of God, some time of prayer, some time in the Word, and then you go, well, I just don't know where I would find time for that. I don't know. Huh. Where would I find time? I don't know. You binge watch Netflix and Hulu all the time. Maybe there's a little time there to you know, spend some time with God. Oh, okay. You know, it, it's funny because there's a little saying, the less you do, the less you want to do. It's true. It's true. I, I used to, you know, we stayed on the run all the time. We don't stay on the run so much anymore. Then when you have something to do, it's like, do we really want to do that? I mean, it might get into sitting on the couch here doing nothing. I used to love talking to retirees. Now, it's in the pick on you retirees, but you, you work 60 hours a week. You had all this stuff going on, and all of a sudden it's like, can you help for a half hour in a project? I don't know when I'd find the time. Well, heaven's sakes, dude, you used to work 60 hours a week. You can't find 30 minutes. No, because it's serious. The less you do, the less you want to do. It really is true. There used to be, anybody remember this day? We used to go to church three times a week. Then you had spring revival and fall revival. Then you had prayer meetings and men's meetings and women's meetings. I was on the worship team here on the team for many years. And Saturday nights, every Saturday night, we'd practice for two hours. We would come in early on Sunday morning and go over a set again. And then we would go to Sunday school. 
And then after Sunday school, we would go to church. And then after church service, we'd go home, we'd eat something, collapse for a couple hours, come back early before it went a Sunday night service to go through our set again to play for Sunday night. And then we'd come in early, we'd rush from work on Wednesday night to go through the set list again to play for Wednesday night, and then we'd be back in for rehearsal on Saturday. And all the while, we had three kids work. I actually worked two jobs for a while when I was here. And still, somehow, we found time to do it all. And the kids were involved in everything. I mean, I didn't see them for years, but Darlene did a great job raising them, so thank you, honey. So, Now, we all were participated in that. And you would think, how would you do all that? Because you do what you need to do, and you get done what you need to get done. Now, I'm not really for going back to that, because I think you get to a place where you say, I'm, I'm, I don't even have much of a life going on here, but you got more time than what you think. You've got 168 hours a week just like me, you, and everybody else. And so you have to say, I need to carve out some time to grow spiritually because it's the only thing on your list that the Scripture says has value in this life and in the life to come. It's profitable in both. So Jesus is worth it. And I can tell you what I know. If you don't get focused on growth, Here's what will happen. I'm not saying you're not saved, not saying you're not a delightful person, not saying you're not wonderful. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying if you don't focus on growth, then someone will always have to do your heavy lifting for you. They'll always have to do the heavy lifting for you. Since they're on the front row, I'll pick on them. I, I, I come and say, oh, man, I got I gotta all kinds of problems in my life. I don't know what to do about it. You know, Tim and Julie, can you guys, I really need this much to be fasting for me and praying and seeking God for me. And, you know, I, I would do it, but, you know, I got a job and I got kids and I got this going on. And, by the way, Netflix just dropped the, the Orange is the New Black, so I got to watch all that series, too. And, by the way, I got some parties to go to, so eat, not eating's out. So, man, if you guys can just seek God for me, fast for me, pray for me, and if you get a word from the Lord, give it to me. Now, I may not answer because I'm watching Hulu, but I'll tell you what, I'll leave a detailed message and I'll do that. And we're all, somebody's always going to have to do the heavy lifting for us. Now, I want to say this, too. You new believer, there's men and women around here happy to do the heavy lifting for you as you grow in God. Serious. Happy to do the heavy lifting for you as you grow in God. But one day, you need to do some heavy lifting for other people. And you need to do heavy lifting for yourself. And so you grow and you mature. And if you don't, you're always having to run for somebody. Having to, I got to find somebody. I got to find somebody. Well, find Jesus. Build a relationship with him. Get to know the word. I've loved the times when people have said, I need something, I, Pastor, you've got to get with me. And, and I tell you, I have a mercy gift and I have a ministry of help, so I'll try to make it happen. But there have been several occasions where it just absolutely could not happen. i got a wedding to do. It's hard to bail on that. I just won't show up for the wedding I'm supposed to do. got a funeral to do, I'll just skip that. And so I get back with the people in a couple of days, say, man, I'm sorry, my schedule is so slammed. What can we do? And you know what? Every time this happened, they said, oh, we figured it out. We got it done. And I thought, hmm, I wonder if God set that up so they could learn that they can pray. They can trust God. They can believe God. We can grow now. This has been circulating on social media for a while. It's not the Bible. You don't have to agree with everything in it, but it does prove a point. So let's look at this. It starts out by saying, marriage is hard. Divorce is hard. Choose your hard. Being overweight and out of shape is hard. Staying fit and trim is hard. Choose your hard. Being in debt is hard. Being financially responsible is hard. Choose your hard. Having a broken and unhealthy relationship is hard. Maintaining healthy relationships with friends and family is hard. Choose your hard. 
Life will never be easy. It will always be hard. Choose your hard. I like that. I mean, again, it's not scripture, but I like I get the point. I want to give you some more biblical clarity, though. The Bible says the way of the sinner or the transgressor is what? Hard. The way of the sinner or transgressor is hard. And Jesus said, I know, we love Jesus. He's awesome. Jesus said, that, hey, everybody, are you burdened and heavy laden? To be heavy laden means you've got a heavy burden or, or weight on your shoulders. We sometimes say the weight of the world is on my shoulders. The weight of all these problems are on my shoulders. Jesus said, are you weary and heavy laden? He said, come unto me, and I'll give you rest. He said, I'm gentle and humble of heart. My yoke is easy. It's interesting because the yoke, you yoke up a couple animals. You know what Jesus is saying? I'll pull the load with you. My yoke is easy, and my burden, my load you're going to carry is light, and you will find rest for your souls. That's the place we need to get to. We will find rest for our souls. Jesus is so wonderful. Peter said one time, Lord, we've given up everything to follow you. And he said, Peter. He said, no one's left houses, lands, mother, brother, sister. I think the Lord would, ha would permit me to say this. The world's philosophies, the world's systems, the world. Any Nobody's left anything. But what they won't receive back in this life a hundred times. And then the rest of the verse we hate. And with it, persecutions. <laughs> That's in there. There's persecutions being a believer. That's okay. He's worth it. He's the treasure in the field. So what must we do? First, recognize Jesus as the treasure worth being all in for. He isn't a little coupon code. He is a treasure. The second thing is keep submitting your life to God and his word. Where we start looking at how we think, our philosophies, the way we do life, and we say, what does Jesus say about how to do life? And we keep submitting it to and that will be painful. That, that'll be a hard, but the worst hard is not to do it. And then the last thing is develop a simple plan for growth. Some people's simple plan for growth is just show up to church on occasion and see what happens. I think we'd be a little more purposeful of that. In fact, I find it funny. You ought to try that at work. Hey, we didn't see you on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. And you're only in for an hour and a half on Thursday. Yeah, you know, I just wasn't feeling it on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So I just thought it would come in. I, I just, I'm just going to try this. No, they <laughs> say that. That don't work. But we can come up with a simple plan for growth. And if you say, I don't even know what that would be, I guarantee you can get on a website, type in, a plan to grow as a Christian, and a thousand things will come up. Just make sure it's a reputable site, and you can find a simple little plan to help you grow.